The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here in the Multimedia Café, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We've got an interesting, fascinating and dare I say, fantastic program today here at the Multimedia Cafe. Joe Dancy stops by the program. Of course, he's a regular on the program with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. He's with their energy department. He's also a visiting professor, I believe is the way that we're going to say that. Uh, he's a visiting professor at Southern Methodist University in Dallas as well. I kind of call him my energy intellect. He's my energy expert. He likes to uh, just teach kids. He likes to teach law. He likes to teach energy. And he's very much in tune with what's going on. And so we, we're going to have him on today to talk a little bit about, are you ready for this? Flaring with natural gas and the generation of bitcoins. So bitcoins, you know, electronic currency. So can we take a way to capture the natural gas from the flares and the Bakken and the Permian and turn it into mining bitcoin? Well... There's a guy doing it in Canada. So we're talking a little bit about that with Joe Dancy today. Get into a little bit about blockchain and Bitcoin and energy, solar power issues, some of the wind issues, uh, also the environmental, the Earth's champion, and the moral case for fossil fuels. We talk about that as well. So natural gas and Bitcoins, interesting topic today. We're going to get right into the interview because it's so fascinating. So we're going to take a quick break. We come back. Joe Dancy joins us. He's with the University of Oklahoma Law with the Energy Center and also a visiting professor at Southern Methodist University. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Multimedia Cafe. You got up and you gave her that rock and said, I'm Charlie Sheen. I must be the luckiest man in the world. Hey Denise, would you be my wife? We'll grow old and I'll love you. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Joe Dancy. He's with the University of Oklahoma College of Law, their energy center, and a visiting professor with Southern Methodist University in Dallas. This is Joe Dancy. Joe Dancy, visiting professor, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Thank you very much for joining us here today on the program. I uh, wanted to talk about a few things energy related, but um, there was a post that you had on LinkedIn 
the other day that I thought was uh, uh, just one of those fun bubblegum for the mind questions, which had to do with capturing natural gas that is flared and mining bitcoins and putting it together. That was a great that was a great little uh, pontification that I'm thinking somebody's working on it right now. How did you to explain how that came up? Well, actually, one of my students in class, and there was actually a Wall Street Journal article, I think, last week or so on it. Apparently, uh, somebody in Canada that you know was not near a pipeline uh, decided, you know, instead of flaring the gas, they would put a portable generator out in the middle of nowhere, generate um, electricity, run computers. I don't know anything other than the basic concepts of mining Bitcoin, but apparently the electricity is the main input and, you know, you get Bitcoin and then you can monetize that. And uh, they were asking me what I thought of the concept. And I, I had lectured earlier in the semester about um, there's some very interesting historical um, proposals dealing with the U S dollar and uh, believe it or not, back in the 30s, the uh, technocracy movement said, geez, you know, maybe our money ought to be backed by energy because energy is transferable across time you know, versus gold or silver. And it came up again in the 1970s when we got went off the gold standard. Now we have a fiat currency that, gee, maybe the, the U.S. dollar should be backed by energy, which, you know, it's you talk to economists and, you know, they, you know a lot of them. I'll just interject right now. I've been told by multiple people over a couple highballs off the record that the economy and the dollar is backed by the military that can control the energy supply for the planet. Does that make sense? Boy, that makes a lot of sense. I haven't really thought of that that way. But, uh, so it, it, I- in essence, yeah, the, the money is backed by energy. But at the same time, it's the people who have the mightiest military that can protect those energy supplies to keep current, keep the riverbanks going, if you will. Um, that's what I was always kind of told by the high-level economists. Like I said, off-the-record type thing. is that's, It's the energy that keeps it going, but then you also have to have something protecting that. Yeah, that's actually an excellent point. And I do know I mean, the, the economy the global economy and u.s economy correlates really really closely with with uh, energy use and so i mean they you talk to the st- statisticians and they talk about correlation coefficients and r squared and everything else but it's like you know 95 percent of the economic growth is, is explained by energy use and so it makes sense if you have you know the economy and the the economic argument for a a energy-backed dollar is that, well, number one, we are an energy powerhouse, the United States, with, you know, oil, coal, gas, you know, what have you, nuclear. Um, And number two, as your economy grows, you know, unlike a fiat currency where you don't know how fast to grow money supply, as your economy grows, you know, the use of energy grows, so your, your, essentially your money supply grows in a non-inflationary manner and this is all above my head my pay grade i'm (laughs) but it's you listen to the arguments and it's very compelling and you realize you know based on the dollar we have now which is you know based on the trust of the u.s government um you you sort of wonder and of course you look overseas and a lot of currencies 
based on the trust of the government, you know, have been severely depreciated in the past. And Lord knows, I mean, I'm not advocating, I'm just saying it was very interesting, but this came up and like I say, I just, you know, explained to my students that, geez, this is a very interesting concept to take a, essentially a waste product that then you do get a, you're still getting a bunch of, um, we actually had a, a seminar, uh, uh, an executive seminar at the University of Oklahoma uh, last week, and one of the professors from the University of Michigan was talking about, you know, how disgraceful it was that we're still flaring natural gas and that, you know, the regulators ought to shut in all the wells and we ought to leave the stuff in the ground. And I, you know, half the people in the audience were, you know, ready to go up and whisper in his ear that, hey, you know, we've made, the North Dakota especially, has made tremendous uh, steps forward dealing with getting the infrastructure built out, dealing with flared natural gas, the Permian also, they're working, you know, night and day to get this, because it, it does have value, and, and there are regulations in place limiting how long you can flare, but um, it, it is it's an interesting, the concept of generating electricity to make bitcoins. Now, the other question came up when I first started thinking about this a year or two ago. I was at a seminar, and the uh, the speaker was talking about how essentially, you know, Bitcoin is just a, a essentially is just energy, <laughs> is what you're, you know, is, and you can convert it, you know, back and forth and monetize it, and that, you know, where they supposedly quote mine this stuff is you know where they have really really cheap electricity a lot of times it's not even you know it's in the it's not even in the country it's somewhere else that uh mr joe dancy i'm gonna ask you to hold that thought for just a moment we're gonna take a quick pause and we come back we're gonna continue the conversation with joe dancy with the university of oklahoma college of law the energy center as well as a visiting professor with the southern methodist university my name is jason Spees, and this is the multimedia cafe Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy. He's with the University of Oklahoma College of Law Energy Center, as well as a visiting professor with Southern Methodist University. This is Joe Dancy. Supposedly, quote, mine this stuff is, you know, where they have really, really cheap electricity. A lot of times it's not even, you know, it's in the it's not even in the country it's somewhere else that uh uh and so yeah that whole concept i i think is pretty fascinating just uh now whether you can make money on it 
You did. I did post on LinkedIn. I'm sort of shocked how many, I mean, I have like 70 comments and people, everybody says, you know, you got everybody from skeptics that say this is nuts to people that say, hey, you know, we're trying it. It works. Call me. Here's my number. Of course, you don't know, you know, they may be promoters too, but, um, and I haven't followed up on any of this quite frankly, and I won't. I I just find all this, this interesting because, I mean, it's, this is a little bit deep for the oil and gas industry, but I'm going to dive in because we're talking about it here. I mean, if you go back to the origin of money, essentially, you know, and we're talking Egyptian times, um, the word, you know, Isis actually, I believe is, is the God of money. Um, but if you go and then if you put the, the ISIS together, that's where you got the dollar sign. Okay. Um, right. yeah, the two S's and then the two I's for the dollar sign. And then, the whole idea of money, of course, is, is, is what you're talking about, energy. It's, it's the transfer of energy to where currency, the word currency, my understanding is, came from the river, came from the, the flow of energy. And so much so that the word bank came from the word river bank because the banks were the ones that corralled and controlled the flow of the currency. And so... When you look at money and the way that originated from the flow of energy and the corral and the control of energy, when you bring it up to gold, when you bring it up to dollars, you know, gold and silver, the reason that that was used as a backing of a currency is because it's such a good conductor of electricity, because it's so malleable, because of the properties behind it and the malleability behind it, kings and armies and queens and everything Everybody wanted it for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you can go back to the Egyptian days where they've got copper wire around clay pots that they used as batteries. So, I mean, the, the, the idea of stored energy as currency has been around for a long time to where fa- fast forward to today where we have cash. It's a promissory note. You look at the cash, that's a promissory note. You're promising this cash is going to exchange energy. So, I just went and worked 40 hours at the law office. Now I'm taking all these promissory notes of shared energy and I'm giving them to the uh, construction guy and he's going to go take his energy and go build me a new gazebo. That's, that's, that, that's money right there. That's money right there. So when we bring it to Bitcoin, this is where I see my disconnect happening because I understand Bitcoin and blockchain. But when you're capturing flared gas and you're converting it to a generator, then that energy gets put into a computer, gets a stored energy for someone else at a later time. I don't know where that energy comes from because it's now in the, you know what I mean? It's not at the computer. So we're missing, um, we're, we're burning energy somewhere with Bitcoin that there doesn't seem like there's going to be a return on the other end. So I'm still kind of questioning Bitcoin. Anyway, that, 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 that's what I mean. We're, we're diving in pretty deep, aren't we there, yeah. Mr. Joe yeah, Dancy? That <laughs> <laughs> is a good question. I mean, energy equals work is essentially, and so you're storing work. Like you say, you cannot store electricity. And it's interesting. The other interesting thing, Jason, over the last, I'm teaching energy law course here and at uh, this spring, and uh, I've, do- I've dived into solar quite a bit. And you hear everybody, you know, thinks we're going to replace it, you know, natural gas, coal, everything else, all the hydrocarbons with solar and checking in. Every state is different. And, of course, with with the, the neat thing about Bitcoin is if you're 
running a generator in northern Canada or you know northern North Dakota, there may not be an electric line where you can actually do an interconnect with to to sell the electricity. So that's where the Bitcoin, you can actually generate the Bitcoin without connecting to the electric grid. Um, but with solar, it's sort of interesting to see each state is different. And at least in Texas and Oklahoma, where I've actually gone talk to builders, they, they, they all sort of laugh and they say, gee, the only people that are putting these on their houses are the McMansions, the people, and they're, they're putting it on to make a statement because they said the economics, even with this, the huge tax credits, um, still don't work on a residential basis. And Just not there, they're, huh? They're not there. And actually, they told me, um, you know, each panel, the little, uh, is about $1,000 each. I mean, that's a rough, so you go by someone's house, if they have 20 panels on it, it probably cost them 20 grand. And, you know, Oklahoma anyway, uh, some of the utilities will, you know, will hook you up to the grid, but they won't pay you for any excess electricity. So you can run your house. So they, the builders have told me, if you're going to design it, design it so that you are not generating any excess electricity. In fact, you're using a little bit because any of the stuff that goes into the grid, you will. And of course, you just can't tie into the grid. You have to have an interconnect, which means you have to have a contract. You have to have them come out and and. and look at your system and the design so it's not cheap to stick on it's not cheap to install you're not going to get and the electricity down here and i don't know about north dakota but i think you're in the same boat in fact i'm pretty sure you are because you're in the a lot of your states in the southwest power pool um electricity is so cheap that um it's difficult for solar to compete now if you're in hawaii where electricity is three times more expensive than solar might make, make make some sense, or if you're off the grid. Um, but in North, the other interesting thing with solar, because um, I've checked with there's some northern Michigan uh, potential installations, and one of the issues I have, this the same thing with North Dakota, is I've asked them, and no one has really told me, you know, if you get 100 inches of snow, or hell, if you even get 50 inches of snow, or you just get cold, you know, do these things work when how do you get the snow off them and there's really no answer to that and and as you know if you if you have to go out and shovel the snow off your solar panels i mean that's just an additional cost that you have to deal with as well as i guarantee you you won't get all the snow off there or the ice so the efficiency is going to be lower and uh, it's a pretty interesting it's an interesting concept but the numbers aren't there and it is sort of irritating to me being you know from the oil and gas and coal and nuclear sector the traditional is, I guess, uh, it is sort of um, irritating to hear, you know, all these folks promoting solar and promoting wind turbines, which also uh, are not not quite there. Yeah, don't get I me started say- on wind. I'm not a big fan yeah. of wind at all. I've, I think, <laughs> well, we've gone we've gone so far backwards to where the farmers a hundred years ago still have us beat on wind energy. They, yep, yep. they they figured out a way to turn it into a well and extract water and you know make it useful for the purpose that they needed it and it worked very well. The fact right. that we are trying to force the wind the way it is without a reclamation program. I mean these these wind turbines, a lot of them, they don't have any plans for when they're done. So they're just going to be a graveyard. Remember those old barns you see on the side of the road? It looks like if a, <laughs> if a, if a leaf falls on it, it's going to break. That's going to yeah. be wind turbines. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about I, it. 
I haven't even I haven't thought about that. I have asked. I've met with the uh, Osage uh, tribe with regard to. They have a big lawsuit up there uh, dealing with wind turbines because they the tribe owns the minerals on the on the entire county. It used to be Osage Nation. Now it's Osage County, and somebody put up a bunch of wind turbines and did not get permission to. When you put these up, because they're four hundred feet in the sky, you have to dig a huge hole and. Part of the, they didn't get, you know, this, the short story is the company did not get a permit from the um, Osage Nation because they were you know, interfering or dealing mm-hmm. with the mineral rights because you start digging underground, that's the other, and the court said. And, Mr. Joe Dancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause. We come back, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law with the Energy Center and also a visiting professor with Southern Methodist University. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy. He's with the University of Oklahoma College of Law Energy Center, as well as a visiting professor with Southern Methodist University. This is Joe Dancy. You know, interfering or dealing with the mineral rights because you start digging underground. That's the other. And the court said, and so the Osage Nation, they were, He's talking to some of the officials for the off the record. They were, they were saying, "Geez, you know, they put all this stuff up. We told them to get a permit. They didn't." And you know, geez, I told them, "Gee, well, now that they need a permit, you can go in and charge them just ungodly amount of, you know, annual annual rental to uh, for a lease." And he goes, "Or he goes like, we can tell them to take them down." He goes, "You know, those, they're." He goes, it'll be incredibly expensive for them to remove all those you know, wind turbines they put up without authorization, assuming the court upholds us. And it was interesting just theoretically what's going what's gonna to happen. But the other thing, and you noted sort of uh, in our discussions that wind and solar are so intermittent. So it's not like you can rely on a wind turbine. You have to have a backup coal plant or backup natural gas plant. So, you know, it's, uh, it's an incredible inefficient um use of resource that uh and of course the new don't i won't get you started on this the new 
you know, the green revolution that's being proposed by some of our politicians essentially is sort of just the electrification of the economy, which is not all that bad. But then you look at the lithium batteries, you're going to have to, and the salts and the copper and, and the inefficiency. And it's, the it's getting crazy. We're it getting, is crazy. No, we're getting in the world of crazy because I'm, I'm, I'm joking that I'm the Earth's champion now because the oil and gas industry is the only people trying to save the planet. Everybody else <laughs> is just pointing fingers and talking about how we got to get rid of oil and gas. Oh, I'm serious. It's, it's crazy. When, yeah. when, when you got a person talking about eliminating fossil fuels and then they serve you a coffee Keurig, I mean, are you kidding me? And then you've got the Dapple protesters leaving behind the garbage that they left behind trying to talk about eliminating fossil fuels. That's, that's absolutely crazy. We've entered into a world where the fact that the narrative is starting with now, we have to end fossil fuels. That, that's absolutely crazy. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that's crazy. That is the definition of crazy because if we eliminated fossil fuels, it would be the walking dead without zombies in three days. It would be just <laughs> unbelievable chaos, okay? So just unpacking that statement, the fact that any media outlet gives somebody with that platform or that, that message a platform is remarkable to me uh, for the reasons you just said earlier too, which is, okay, let's talk wind and solar. Well, first of all, they're inefficient. They're going to create a lot more work for people. And let's not forget it's not even better for the environment because those lithium batteries and, and some of the minerals that we need to make those batteries, some of those mining practices are not the greatest. And those iPhones that you text everybody on that take 28 rare minerals, sometimes the mining practices aren't the best there either. And the oil and gas industry has made not, I mean, it's coal and oil and gas has made such significant progress on cleaning up the environment that they almost have just steam coming out of these plants plants and refineries now. I mean, steam to where they've collected so much of that to, to where it's like white steam coming out. That's remarkable. That is, and so I, I, I kind of started as a Stephen Colbert type joke that, you know, I'm going to get myself a Brock Lesnar belt and I'm going to go around and be the, be the earth's champion because the oil and gas industry is the only people right now seriously trying to save the planet. Everybody else is just pointing fingers and, and causing more problems, in my opinion. That's a good point. Actually, we in our energy law class, too, I uh, last year I went out to the AES um, Shady Point plant here. It's on the Oklahoma-Arkansas border. It's a coal plant. And they had a they had the generator. One of the two generators was working. It was in – this is sort of the off-season, so they had one, one generator down. They were working, doing the – repairs on it but out of the stack jason you're exactly there wasn't even steam coming out it was like you know they were operating generating electricity 100 uh, megawatts of electricity which is 50 wind turbines going full blast is what the equivalent was you could not tell that the plant was operating you know if you looked at the stack or anywhere else you just it was quiet it was efficient um you know, was generating electricity for the Southwest Power Pool. In theory, you know, the electricity coming out of your socket, because I think you're in the Southwest Power Pool up there, most of North Dakota, um, is, is, and uh, of course, in reality, it, the it's electrons are just like the, when you pour water into a stream, it will, it will go, you know, to the nearest uh, 
near his discharge or wherever. But uh, in any event, it's sort of interesting to see how clean the coal plant was. And the whole facility was beautiful. I mean, it was well-maintained. It was it was not an eyesore. Uh, and it was a huge, wasn't huge, they have 80 jobs that they, which when you're in eastern Oklahoma, the unemployment rate, um, well, last year was 16%. I don't know what it is now. But it's, you know, 80 jobs in a high unemployment um, area is, is significant. And, and with regard to oil and gas, you know, saving the nation, well, one of the guys we had um, Zoom or Skype into our class. Saving the earth, not the nation. They're saving the saving earth. The yeah. Earth. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we, we all know the earth's the best planet in the universe, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is. A, I had. Um, I mean, if we're gonna get bravado, we got to get bravado here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had uh, Alex Epstein who wrote the moral case for fossil fuel, and we talked for an hour, and it was interesting. You know, a lot of my students, it is these are law students. They 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 have undergrads and uh, all sorts of different you know undergraduate degrees, but you know this is the first time they really have heard from someone talking what just like you said about. Alex is making the argument that there is a moral case for fossil fuels for both, you know, the environment, for food. And what he said is, and this was really this struck me as the, my takeaway. I mean, I've, and I've read his book and I've talked to him in the past and I've, we actually had him come down here to SMU and put him uh, at the Perot, Perot Museum. We brought, there's about 300, probably the hot, biggest hot shots in, in Dallas in the energy sector and elsewhere. And he, made a big presentation, but his, his comment to one of the students was, you know, if you attack oil and gas and coal and hydrocarbons, essentially you're attacking the, the, um, the people in the world who need them most, the people that don't have, you know, clean water, the people that don't have enough food, that don't have transportation. And so if you're going to bottle all that stuff up and make it more expensive with regulations that are unreasonable or your, you know, more expensive alternative fuels like solar or the people you hurt are the economic disadvantaged. And he goes, so when you hear these folks talking and marching around, you know, shut down the oil and gas industry, essentially, you know, what they're saying is, you know, we are, we are going to make the disadvantaged even more disadvantaged. And if you can afford it and you have a decent job, you know, it's going to be more expensive, but you can, you know, it's not going to impact you that much. And so he goes, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting way to look at it. And, and thinking about it, I, I agree with them. That's a great, great point. Well, and I think too, not, I, I don't think getting rid of solar and wind is the answer. Like I said, farmers figured out a very creative, effective way to harness wind energy now in india for example they've figured out some great ways where on the um, busy city highways where the buses are just flying back and forth they use the vertical corkscrew windmills so that way the buses moving back and forth are powering these wind turbines in between the highways constantly and so you know there are some different ways like a small wind turbine on a um on a house is very efficient for some things. And when I look at like solar, hey, it does a great job, you know, charging batteries and and doing, you know, some minor things around the house that uh, around your life that maybe, you know, can come in secondary or even a third energy source, you know, all these, all these uh, eye devices, they need charging. And there's certain, there's certain other things that do. Now, where the problem comes is where we start 
with trying to say a city has to have it. And if the city doesn't do it, well, then it's not a very effective energy source. You know what I mean by that? To where I, I see a lot of these, you know, solar and wind have a place in the market, but I don't think it's to power a city. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what, that's how I kind of, I mean, if they're not even being able to really power the McMansions, how, how can you expect it to power a skyscraper? What's interesting you mentioned that. It is uh, the first city in Oklahoma that, Apparently, as the city council has adopted a resolution to go 100% renewable, is Norman, Oklahoma. And, of course, it's a college town. It's probably – and a number of people just went nuts and said, well, number one, yeah, they they don't have the capacity yet to power an entire town with renewables. And number two, you know, the – of course, this is by 2025 or something. So it's – or 2030, so it's 10 years out. But – Mr. Joe Dancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause. We come back, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law with the Energy Center and also a visiting professor with Southern Methodist University. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Sitting on a million, uh, sitting on it every day. Can't make no money giving your stuff away. Why don't you do? Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we conclude the conversation with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law, the Energy Center, as well as a visiting professor with Southern Methodist University. This is Joe Dancy. You know, the, of course, this is by 2025 or something, so it's or 2030, so it's 10 years out. But and it is, a you know, it's a, it's a, I guess as a goal, I understand that if it's economically done, but, you know, a number of folks were like, you know, they were, well, number one, a number of environmentalists were wildly enthusiastic for it, but a number of, you know, more realistic folks said, gee, I own a house here, and if my electricity bill doubles because we're doing renewables based on a mandate by a city, you know, this is, it's interesting, it it creates some conflict, and, uh, of course, going forward, they can always change the mandate or change the date. But uh, I thought that was that was quite quite interesting, especially for a state as conservative as Oklahoma and as as oil and gas based. I mean, it is it's fun in both Texas and Oklahoma and North Dakota to work work in because the people there, for the most part, totally understand how much value whether you're a mineral owner, whether you're a worker, whether you own a company. They, or whether a pipeline, you realize how valuable this stuff is to the economy and to you personally. And uh, anyway, to see a city of in Norman, Oklahoma, decide that, gee, we're going to go total renewable, I mean, that's great, but number one, the numbers aren't there, and neither is the capacity, and it's going to be expensive as heck. So it's going to be exciting to see, but um, it'll be exciting to see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've played a – Baseball in Norman. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, been it's, down to an a, a, AAU tournament back in my youth day. We um, it, we we got beat pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great city. It's a great. It is. It's a great. It's a great college. In fa- Oklahoma is fantastic. But in, it's, uh, in fact, probably my best memory from that trip was we got to go stand on the fifty-yard line at the University of Oklahoma's Sooners Stadium, and yep, um, yep. that's that's incredible. I mean, I've been at the Big House and. Uh, uh, was it Michigan? That's that's. Yep. A, I mean, that, 
uh, Penn State, uh, Happy Happy Valley out in Penn State, and you know you're talking about a hundred thousand people that come into these arenas, and and so at the time I was living in Fargo, and I'm going, wow, that's the city of Fargo here, <laughs> like that's the whole city in this in this yeah. arena, you know what I mean? Like, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it, it, it is interesting too. The uh, just as a sidelight, we were and this has come up in the last month or two. The students were talking about induced seismic, the uh, and oil and gas. And I said, gee, you know, there is someone in our in our in our engineering department. One of the seismologists pulled out some seismic equipment, and they actually measured when OU scored a touchdown. There's enough people jumping around. You can actually it is it has the equivalent of a very small induced seismic oil and gas event, and Crazy. I thought that was quite interesting. And told them, geez, you know, we probably should go out and protest the football team and say, you know, we don't want any induced seismic events around Oklahoma, so we shouldn't be playing football here in Norman. And I said, just you know, don't use my name when you go protest because it's football is quite popular, as you can imagine. Oh it's like yeah, ice, it's like ice hockey is up at uh, University of North Dakota. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, well, and of course, uh, my alumni, North Dakota State University, seven-time Division Two or Division One AA. I forget what it is. I call it Division Two. It's Division One AA. Uh, championships, you know, football. We've uh, seven years in a row now down in Frisco, Texas. We come down there and uh, drink the town dry. Uh, two years, I think the first two years, they li- literally ran out of alcohol. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, that was uh, that was like an issue for two years in a row. And the second year was so funny because they're like, we're ready for you. And then we drank them dry again. Uh, so yeah, proud to be. On, they're a good team. I've yeah. seen them on TV quite a bit in the playoffs. It's fun. Uh, and it's fun. And it's interesting, uh, of course, when you when you have a team from the north, just the ability to to practice with the uh, yeah, with the weather you have up there versus you have the southern teams, and you can pretty much you're in Oklahoma or Texas or Florida or Louisiana, you can practice all year round, you know, and uh, and stay in you know, stay in coordination. But when you're when you're up where you're at, the uh, yeah, the ability to get outside and it's expensive. Shape. Oh, it's expensive. Well, you got to uh, keep the like you know we, we've got a dome, but it it's not free to keep the dome open. Oh, you know, no, yeah. and you know t- down south you can just go outside. Yep. You know, I yep. mean, you you don't have to pay for heat and air conditioning and all that other stuff. And although during the summer months you can't do too much outside, uh, too much heat. But uh, anyway, right. So okay, uh, before we get running here, I'd like to get an update, just kind of uh, what your latest trade shows have been we've talked uh let's see the last time you're at nape and then we talked about the drones in the uh oil field just kind of what what have you been uh, uh i guess absorbing over the past 30 days with your wheelings and dealings and trade shows and and talkings and presentations well we had we had our online students in norman uh, they it was a 15-month program they come in for one week and what i do is i bring in experts that uh, instead of listening to me lecture for five days in a row because they listened to me online lecturing uh, i brought some folks in and uh the bottom line is that nothing really new or exciting uh, the spears and associates the uh, consulting firm out of tulsa you know gave some interesting presentations dealing with drilling uh, activity and they think well number one they used there won't be an explosion in prices or drilling activity, but they think going forward from here on to the rest of the year, there's going to be a mild upward trend in both activity and prices, which is positive. Uh, and they, uh, 
also, I guess there's I, <laughs> the other big thing that I took away, and actually I had a speaker in my class last week, or this week, I guess, on, and I really, well, I've thought about this, but I really haven't looked, and I wanted to show the students uh, the big area that's sort of overlooked is the midstream, the natural gas liquids area, where we're promoting or producing so much more natural gas liquids. And as the speaker noted, you know, it's sort of an area where most producers, you don't go in looking for natural gas liquids, but when you have this little niche, you can, you know, it's a great niche because you don't have that much competition. You can make a boatload of money, um, you know, processing that stuff. The exports, Jason, going out of, going out of Houston are incredible. I mean, are going straight through the roof, the chemical plants and, and so just marathon just announced they're, they're modifying their Texas city refinery. They're spending $2 billion to be able to process more of the U S you know, lighter crews and the natural gas liquids into, into saleable products. And so the students really got an eye opener. Of course you have, you have a natural gas liquids plant and you, you also need the associated, you know, pipelines, transportation, export contracts, and and so. And from what I've heard, and talking to people, and talking to the the experts that were, you know, making the presentation, the you know the natural gas liquids boom is not going to be over anytime soon. And I know, you know, with the natural gas you have in North Dakota, you know, obviously that's not the primary objective. But I knew I know a number of the areas are relatively liquid rich which just kicks your economics way up and and obviously you you know the propane use is going up but the propane exports you can only heat so many houses in north dakota or or michigan or minnesota with your propane that was joe dancy with the university of oklahoma college of law the energy center as well as a visiting professor with southern methodist university that's going to do it for today's program i'd like to thank joe dancy for joining us here and giving us some of his energy expertise as well as just some pontification, some bubblegum for the mind today here on the Multimedia Cafe. That's going to do it for today's program. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this station. For those of you on the radio, thank you very much for choosing us. And for those of you streaming us on the Internet or maybe downloading a podcast or two, something like that, we appreciate it very much. There's a lot of places for you to get your content in today's world. So thank you for choosing the Multimedia Cafe and the Crude Life Media Network. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. We have a nice, robust social media audience of over 350,000 followers at the Crude Life Media Network in the Multimedia Cafe. Go to thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. You can check out our entire network from the Facebooks, the YouTubes, even the Twitters. All that at thecrudelife.com, our social media tab. From the staff, at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. 
The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 